Chapter 11 Once a dentist stopped me from asking a Nazi officer about my parents and I was really mad at him. I still am, even after a sleep and a long sit on the, on the bucket. I want to breathe this stupid to toothbrush he made for me into tiny pieces. That's why I'm scrubbing my teeth so hard. The Nazi officer was smiling by the time I was halfway through the story, but by the time I'd described how the two German soldiers turned the windmill into a giant water pump and built a lake for African kids to go ice skating on, he was laughing. He, ma he made me carry on with the story even after Barney finished drilling. At the end, the Nazi officer asked me to write the story down so he could send it home to his kids. Of course. I said yes. I told him it would be in Polish and it would take a couple of days. The Nazi officer didn't mind at all, just asked me to drop it round when it's finished. I don't think he's a friend of the other Nazi officer, the murderer. I think when he hears about what's happened to mum and dad, he'll want to help them. But before I could start telling him, Barney grabbed me and the bag of food and we left too dangerous barney told me in the street but we, he wouldn't say why this toothbrush is unbreakable it's only wood with bris and bristles but barney must have some dentist's secret of making it really strong felix says a muffled voice i look down zelda has joined me at the teeth cleaning bowl her mouth is already foaming with Barney's homemade toothpaste and that he makes from chalk dust and soap. When you went out with Barney last night, she says, did you find our parents? I don't know what to say. Her eyes are shining hopefully above the foam and suddenly I feel terrible. Here's me moaning about waiting two days to, com to have a conversation with a Nazi officer. And poor Zelda still doesn't even know her parents are dead. Her face falls. You didn't find them, did you? She says. I shake my head. We look at each other. I try and think up a story about how parents are really that important. But I can't because they are. I know a place we can see them from, says Zelda. I smile sadly. At least she's learning how to use her imagination. Up there, she says. I look up to where she's pointing. A needle of daylight, bigger than the others, is coming in through a crack where one of the walls meets the ceiling. Jacob says that from up there he can see outside and into the street, says Elder. I sigh. Everyone's a storyteller these days. It's true, says a man's voice behind me. Jacob is climbing off his sack bed blinking very indinchly. Several of the other kids are waking up too. It's easy, says Jacob. You make a pile of beds and climb up. I did it last night. He, he did, says Zelda, but he wouldn't let me. I look at them both. I can see they're telling the truth. When people lie, their toothpaste foam drops. Let's do it now, says Zelda excitedly. I peer over to the other side of the cellar. Barney is still in bed snoring. When he's been out at night, he usually sleeps pretty late. All right, I say. It's worth a try, and not just for me. It might be good for Zelda, too. She might see her auntie or uncle or something. 
I can't see my mummy and daddy yet, says Zelda. Can you see yours? Not yet. I get a firm grip with my bare feet on the wobbly pile of beds. Hold Zelda's arm tighter so we both don't so we both don't fall. Press my glasses harder against the crack in the wall and try to see something that isn't feet and legs. That's the problem with looking out into the street at ground level. You don't get to see the tops of people. It's very confusing. I can see hundreds of feet and legs milling around out there. With with this many Jewish people in Poland, how come mum and dad's shoppers didn't do better? I can see mummy I can see my mummy's feet, yells Zelda. Over there in the brown shoes. Shh calls Chea down from down below. You'll wake you'll wake Barney. It's all right, says Jacob. His voice strained from helping Chea prop up the pile of beds. Barney's a heavy sleeper. Zelda's eyes are pressed to the crack in the wall. Over there, she squeaks. Mummy Mummy's feet. I know how she feels. I thought I saw Dad's um dark green trousers until I saw another pair and then three more. I try to see if any of the feet and legs look as they're doing the sort of thing that Mum and Dad do, like carrying big piles of books or or having discussions about books or reading somebody else's book over their shoulder. I can't tell. The feet and legs could be doing anything. I can identify those two pairs of legs over there. They belong to two men who are wrestling on the ground over a piece of bread, and those there belong to another man who's just collapsed and is lying on the cobbles while people step over him. But the rest of the feet and legs could belong to anybody. The only thing I can tell for sure is that none of them belong to kids. I press my nose to the crack in the wall and try and get off, get a whiff of mum's perfume. Nothing. I cram my ear to the crack to, to try and hear mum and dad's voices. All I can hear is trucks arriving and people yelling. Some of them sound like German soldiers. Suddenly all the feet and legs are scattered and running away. Mummy, yells Zelda. She's jiggling up and down. The pile of beds underneath us is toppling. Look out, yells Jacob. I plummeted towards the floor. Luckily the beds break my fall. So does Jacob. When my head stops spinning and I find my glasses, I help him out from under a sack and almost step back into Barney, who isn't standing there, hands on his hips, glaring at us. I can't give him my full attention yet, not till I've made sure Zelda is all right. If she's landed on this stone floor, phew, there she is, crawling around on her hands and knees. Where are my slippers? she's saying. I need to put my slippers on so I can go and see Mummy. I look at I look at how desperately she's searching and suddenly I know I have to tell her. I don't want to and I don't know how to, but I have to. The poor kid can't go on like this. She needs to know the truth. You're sure they're both You're sure they were both dead, says Barney, quietly as we watch the the other kids put the the beds back into position. And Zelda puts her slippers on. I nod. I tell him about the feathers I held under their noses. They'd been shot, I say. So had the chickens. I try not to think about the blood. Barney frowns. You're right, he 
he says. Zelda does need to know. I wait, but he doesn't say anything else. Will you tell her, I say. Barney frowns some more. I think it's better if you do it, he says. You've been, you've both been through a lot together, and she trusts you, and you were there. That's what I've been dreading, he, he'd say. I don't know how to, I say quietly. Barney looks at me. I haven't noticed before how red his ears are. Must be because he works at night a lot. Just tell her the story of what you saw, he says. You don't have to make anything up. All right, I say. I wish I could make up things for Zelda. I wish I could tell her a happy story about how my glasses were affected by the heat of the fire and how the parents aren't really dead and how they're just having a holiday on a desert island with, with a cake shop and how they'd be coming back for her soon as their suntans are completed. But I can't. I tell Zelda the story of what I saw. She doesn't believe me. No, she yells, throwing herself onto her sack. Barney puts his hand gently on her shoulder. The other kids watch silently, their faces sad. I tell her again without making anything up. This time she doesn't yell. For a long time, her body shakes in Barney's arms without any sound at all. I'm trembling myself partly at the memory of what I saw and partly because for Zelda my story has made her parents dead. Now several of the other kids are crying too, rooftops, brushing her hair and lets her tears run down her face. Once, she whispers, some, godlin, some goblins hit my dad with sticks. They hit them with sticks till he died. Barney reaches over and squeezes her hand. Jacob is sobbing too. Nana was burned, he says, tears trickling through the, his blinks. I got home from school and they were all burned. Nana and Popey and Ellie and Martha and even Olek. Henrik stands up and kicks his bed. I hate goblins, he says. They killed Siggy and cut his tail off. Chea puts her good arm round him and holds him while he sobs. She lowers her gentle face and speaks quietly. Once a prison once the princess lived in a castle. It was a small castle, but the princess loved it, and she loved her family who lived there with her. Then one day the evil goblins came looking for information about their enemies. They thought the princess knew the information, but she didn't. To make her tell, the goblins gave the princess three wishes. Either they could hurt her, or they could hurt the old people, or they could hurt the babies. Chea pauses, trembling, staring at the floor. I can see how hard it is for her to finish the, her story. The princess chose the first wish, she says quietly. But because, she, but because she didn't know any information, the goblins made all three wishes come true. We're all crying now. Moshi is still chewing his wood but tears are running down his face too. A whole cellar full of tears. I take Chea's hand, hand. I take Chea's hand for a while. Then I go over, and Barney, and Barney lets me hug Zelda. I can feel the sadness shaking on her whole body. 
All around me, poor kids are crying with their dead families. My tears are different. I feel so lucky because somewhere out there, I know my mum and dad are still alive. Thank you for listening to Chapter 11.